You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Goldsevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose No Show. And we're getting ready to get into another. The Bose Nose Show is really all about calling. And I'm just hoping that folks uh, know that I do this every week so that I'm accessible to the public. And, you know, some of the folks maybe not in Lane County, you know, just want to talk to somebody that's in government and understand what's going on with the wheels of government. So we come to you live every Wednesday at 4 o'clock Pacific time from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, with a call-in show that I host here. And I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, Westland County Commissioner. We call it the Bose Nose Show because I'm the Bose and I got the nose. So, uh, and, uh, and we have a little fun sometimes and, and uh, we talk about what's going on in Lane County and across the nation. But the biggest part of this is to have you guys call in and ask questions be, or, or bring up what's on your mind because that's more interesting than what I want to talk about most of the time. So give us a call, 646-721-9887. And just press one so we know you want to get in and talk. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one, get in on the Bose Nose Show. So um, this week at the Board of Commissioners, uh, we uh, had quite a discussion, and uh, uh, just uh, uh, Robin, just a quick note: I can still see you. So, uh, am I am I up on Facebook Live or are you? <laughs> it is you, by the way. Okay, all right. Just wanted just want to let you know because that's not. Uh, sorry, we're, we're trying something a little bit new here. I actually can see Robin. Today instead of just hearing her and and it was a little distracting there for a second yeah she's making face have to get used to that um yeah so yesterday board of commissioners meeting we actually um did a couple things that are hopefully moving us towards reopening lane county and one of those things was we had to certify back to the governor as part of our gatekeeping stuff that we've got enough personal protection equipment. You always hear the PPE. That's what that stands for, personal protection equipment. It's not any sort of medical jargon or anything like that. It actually comes from the construction side of, of you know, and industry and OSHA and, and, you know, stuff that you have to wear on a job site, you know. And it's, if you're a medical professional, there's certain things that are personal protection equipment. If you're a construction guy and the safety goggles, you have to wear using a grinder that's your personal protection equipment. You know, your hearing protection when you're around noisy, noisy equipment, you know, the, the metal gloves that meat cutters wear, you know, the chain mail gloves, that's personal protection equipment. And when they refer to personal protection equipment, in this case, they're just talking about what's necessary for the uh, COVID-19 crisis. So um, as we, you know, look at how we're going to reopen one of the things that the governor required and i kind of bristled a little bit at this and i met and i brought up my objections yesterday at the board meeting the governor put each county as responsible for certifying back to the state that we have enough personal protection equipment now mind you how many lane county commissioners or any county commissioners across the state uh, with the exception of, I know, one emergency room doctor up in Multnomah County that's now a county commissioner, um, actually have experience on the medical side with personal protection equipment. Or, and the thing is, we're certifying that there is enough personal protection equipment for first responders. So that includes 
EMS guys in fire departments, um, you know, patrol officers in Cottage Grove or, you know, Oak Ridge or Coburg, you know, there's a lot of first responders across the county, and we're supposed to know and certify there's enough PPE for all of them. And, you know, folks all the way to that, you know, street cop in Florence. And, and we're, you know, we're having to certify to them. And the, the request for certification was, was done with language that was completely undefined. We just had to, to certify there was sufficient PPE. No definition of what sufficient is. No definition of first responder. So we kind of made sure that um, we put a little bit of wiggle language into our certification because we don't want this to be a litigation trap for the for the county and cost county taxpayers money because our governor is trying to put the legal responsibility down to the county level for whether or not there's enough personal protection equipment in the state of Oregon. So that 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 was you know one action we had to take to reopen was we had to make this certification requirement of the governor's rules and she um, released her prerequisites for phase reopening out to the county commissioners over the last couple of days. And I think it's gotten into the press. Um, and we have our, our plan, which is a little bit different um, in, in some ways, uh, but it reflects some of what's in her plan. Um, so we're really trying to, you know, do this dance of we have to, adhere to the governor's requirements. And one of the things I did speak up a little bit yesterday, I'm not so sure the governor hasn't gone beyond her constitutional authority with, with some of what she's asking for and the extension of this um, emergency declaration of hers beyond 30 days without legislative action to extend it beyond that 30 days. So, um, don't believe the governor is legally able to require us to do this stuff, but I kind of have to play that dance because I want our businesses to be able to open as soon as possible. And um, I don't want my legal objections to hang them up. So at the same time as I believe she's on shaky ground legally, I think we need uh, to keep moving ahead with playing her game. Yeah. <laughs> because it would take months of legal action in courts to determine whether or not she's actually violating the Constitution. She she thinks she's on strong ground because she's using a couple statutes. I don't believe that the definitions in those statutes meet this current emergency, which means she should be working under Article 10A of the Oregon Constitution, and uh, which was passed by the voters in 2011 with the intent of codifying done in statute to make sure it was reflected in the Constitution because they were kind of unsure about their statutory ability to give the governor these emergency powers. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like, why would we have even amended the Constitution, put that in there if you, if you know, um, so I, I, I kind of think she's gone, she's run out the clock on her, her, her emergency powers and really needs to call the legislature back into session. Beyond that, um, we still got to play her game. And her game is kind of to throw up as many roadblocks as possible, it seems like, to prevent businesses from reopening and to keep a, and to extend the clock out. Like the first we're going to have to get any review of this, uh, our plan is by the 15th of May. That's what she that's what she told Douglas County that submitted their plans last week, uh, you know, a week ago, um, that they might get to completing the review by May 15th and granting them the ability to reopen their business, some of their businesses. So it's really uh, um, disappointing somewhat that kind of, we, we gotta play the game to try and help our businesses, but I really wish, and that's one of the reasons why I asked our board to send that letter to governor, give us some local control, ability to make some exceptions. Because 
really um, that's important uh, to to uh, our citizens is to get some of these businesses that could reopen safely. We can let people go to a liquor store, you know, and touch bottles of liquor that that clerks have have stocked and put on counters, and not, I, you know, I don't think they're wiping down each bottle of liquor after it gets touched in the store. Touch credit cards that have been passed back and forth between from customer back to the the, the clerk and and all that. You know, of course, liquor stores generate tax revenue for the state. I guess that's why they got to stay open. And hair salons don't gen- generate tax revenue for the state quite as much, so they had to be closed. Um, and we'll talk about hair salons some more here in a minute because um, we do have news out of Dallas, Texas, and Salem about hair salons. Um, that's important to talk about, but um, we, we've got to get some of our businesses open. And if, if we can have a liquor store open, there's almost no reason some of our retail stores that are similar and could limit customers into in and out of the store could not also reopen. You know, it, it, and the customers can decide whether that store is being safe and whether they want to patronize it or not. You know, and I've talked about it last week, you know, the single chair hair salon, one person at a time inside, you know, the the salon, you know, 15 minute gap between customers to sanitize everything. You know, I can't understand why that person can't operate safely. No more than, you know, a small canning salon couldn't keep their beds clean and and in between customers and, and keep the social distancing involved in that, you know, it seems to be a pretty solitary uh, thing to do to get it, you know, to use those tanning booths anyway. <laughs> so to me, there's, there's lack of logic in some of the, the closures. And I think it's, it's time we started allowing business owners and customers to decide whether things are safe. And to be able to have that local control to allow those people to do that, and 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 be able to reopen. But that gets us back to you know things we have to do to play right with the governor. We have to release our own plan, so it includes everything from uh, you know first we have to demonstrate we have a falling number of cases. And this is a place where, and then the second thing is we have to increase our testing capacity. Those two items, you know, I kind of took our our public health folks to task a little bit on because if you increase the testing, we're going to find more cases. Because, you know, just the other day in the Register Guard on, on, uh, it was it Monday or Tuesday, there was a big article about somebody that ended up and tried to get tested four times and couldn't get a test. So if we increase the amount of testing we're doing out there, we're going to increase the number of cases we find. And I don't want that to automatically kick us out from phase one reopening. So we're going to kind of play a balance in there. And it's not just about um, cases identified. It's about, um, you know, is it a bunch of unrelated cases uh, that had no contact, which means there's a lot more that, that there's actually a COVID outbreak going on. Or is it three cases in the same um, nursing home facility that are easily identified as, as a as a single hotspot versus three well-distributed unrelated cases, which would be more scary epidemiologically than three in the same facility? So, um, yeah, they said there's going to be some consideration for the increased testing. We're going to find more cases. Yeah, that's just a... a, a something that's going to happen. But it is pretty interesting though, that we have gone from, you know, back in, in mid-March, we were barely breaking uh, 50 tests a day. Uh, and now we're up to 150 tests a day in Lane County. Yet our number of cases has, has during that same period of time, almost remained flat, even as we increase the number of tests, amount of testing we're doing. So. Hopefully we've gotten on top of this thing. We can keep those cases falling over the 14 days 
and our testing is 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 primed to increase. We actually have Peace Health and McKenzie um, hospitals um, that are starting their own testing, and we've actually um, really worked hard to increase testing capacity here in Lane County, um, both through the and through um, the public sector. Um, you know, we have to, uh, you know, one of the things we also want to be able to do is we want to be able to um, scale back up if we get a second wave um, and then, then and also be able to have sufficient contact tracing resources available if we have some increases in cases. And we believe we've kind of got those covered, particularly with the ability of, of Oregon Health Authorities training a bunch of people to, to act as surge contact folks to go to hot spots. Um, you know, and of course, you know, we had sufficient personal protective equipment. We already talked about that. Um, and uh, we have, you know, developing the blueprint for the process of uh, re uh, restriction relaxation. Um, we got to get the support from the, the governor. And uh, we also have to monitor some, some triggers that might cause us to um, pull back on some of the reopenings. So we think we've got things pretty dialed in. We voted to submit the plan to the governor. And uh, also at the same time, we wrote a letter to the governor asking for some local control that the board supported 5-0. So that's good news on, on our part. So looks like we're kind of moving towards some kind of phase one reopening around the 15th of May here in Lane County. If things, if the governor holds up her end of the promise to getting some of these things reviewed and approved by the 15th. Now, mind you, in the meantime, the governor's saying she reopened some recreational areas when in fact, most of the areas she listed never closed. And in, in addition, she's considering reopening on May 5th she announces that, <laughs> but she hasn't done it yet, but she's considering it. She didn't say when. I don't know many people that ski much past April 1st. <laughs> I know that some of the upper areas of Mount Hood stay open year round, but still it's like, oh my God, why are you focusing on ski areas and not focusing on things like getting campgrounds reopened for RV camping where people bring their own with them and all their food and cooking facilities yeah oh my gosh ski areas yeah and speaking of the governor and and i i want to hear other people's opinions about this so i just want to remind you of our call-in number which is 646-721-9887 again that's 646-721-9887 just press one so we know you want to get in on the show the governor's executive branch, you know, they're the ones that control OSHA and all the licensing authorities in you know, Oregon Health Authority, the Oregon State Police, you name it, they all report through to the governor. They're, they're part of the executive branch. OSHA is threatening a business owner in Salem because she, she has reopened. She actually publicly announced she was going to reopen yesterday her hair salon. Now, mind you, her hair salon normally employs 25 people, is 4,000 square feet. I mean, it's not one of these little ones. And she's reopening with only five chairs open in 4,000 square feet. That's 800 square feet per cutter. You know, so, so there's plenty of separation there. And they're going to they're spacing their appointments with 15-minute gaps between them to clean their stations between them. So it's, it's a very limited reopening of this hair salon. And the governor sent OSHA down there to threaten this woman with a $1,000 fine right off the bat. And as she continues to stay open, the possibility of a $75,000 fine. You know, And this is somebody that the reason she's reopened Starved. Yeah. Is that you, Robin, that keeps cutting in now and then? Or is that is that feedback? 
but sorry about that. Uh, getting a little little uh, talk back here on on my end. Um, the uh, you know it just amazes me. You know this this woman's waited her her business as the governor asked, and now wants to do a very slow reopen of the business in a really safe way, and she just can't wait any longer. You know there is no income coming into her family right now. It just happens that her family owns about five different businesses. Guess what they are? They own a small gym. They own three tanning salons that are part of a chain and this hair. What three kinds of businesses were specifically listed in the governor's closure orders? Hmm. Gyms, tanning salons, hair salons. Of course, the only thing, you know, she didn't hit tattoo parlors. At least she doesn't own one of those, but Everything that has her family employed has been shut down. And mind you, as business owners, it's really difficult to get unemployment. <laughs> and as has been said, small been at the back of the line for some of these these um, loan programs, forgivable loans, et cetera, uh, that have been coming out through the federal government. So they're basically six, seven weeks with no income. And, you know, there's five businesses that probably have leases, paying rent, have, you know, uh, even when they're shut down, I bet their electric meter still spins. <laughs> and, and all she wants to do is reopen, you know, a soft reopening with five employees and here the governor is going to bring in the heavy hand. Fortunately, I don't think there's a law enforcement agency in this state that's willing to arrest this woman, unlike in Dallas, Texas, where they actually arrested a hair salon owner who opened her, her hair salon and put her in jail for seven days. I, I I can't wait for the the constitutional lawsuit that's going to come out of that one. So, going to be interesting. Boy, is this going to you know, the lawyers are going to get so rich after this epidemic between business owners states over the the damages they caused by closures that were weren't weren't actually constitutionally very well founded to. Um, labor representatives suing businesses because they failed to protect employees properly, uh, customers suing businesses because they might, they thought that that business was where they got their COVID from. You know, it's, it's going to be a lawyer's heyday in about six months. If you, you, you want permanent employment, get into, uh, uh, you know, that sort of uh, tort claim personal suits and, and constitutional law stuff, and you'll be fully employed for the next 10 years, probably, these lawsuits will keep going. So I'm just hoping that the national legislature will deal with this in some way and pass some kind of tort claim um, restrictions that have, where instead of just being able to sue because you think you might have gotten COVID somewhere, that, that the standard is the person had some kind of gross negligence involved, you know, because you know, you're, you're as a customer made a decision to patronize that business and you, sh you know, you have your ability to do due diligence and find out what they're doing to prevent passing on COVID. As an employee, you also make, you're making the decision to, to come into a business or not. You know, you can always quit and collect unemployment. And right now they've got unemployment jacked up. So for a lot of people, they're not losing a lot of income being on unemployment, which is a whole other subject. Um, but somehow or another, we have to, to prevent this, you know, massive second wave, not of people getting sick, but a second wave of lawsuits is going to happen as, as we come out of this COVID-19 stuff. Um, and one of the ways of doing that is reopening stuff and lifting some of these restrictions that are questionable 
I mean, I really question some of these restrictions on religious services. I know that when I was serving on the Lane Regional Air Protection Authority Board, we have restrictions on burning that we can put in place. Do you know the one, one of the one exemptions from all the burn prohibitions that, that they put out, and this includes DEQ does the same thing, religious fires or fires related to religious ceremonies. Do you know why? Because of the First Amendment. Okay, I have to. I have to ask. <laughs> you, yeah, you, you probably know what I'm going to ask. Go ahead. Does that include burning at the stake? Uh yeah, you know, if yeah, you get if it's done in a religious manner, there's nothing that that, that at least El Rapa can do about it. Now, the fact that you might be burning somebody and that's you know murder. <laughs> there's some criminal. You know, there, there's some, some rights being violated by the person being. Your idea where that's coming from. I got no audios open. Yeah, that is just weird. It's, it's, it's coming once or twice throughout the show. Yeah. Um, so seriously, you have to wonder, you know, all these states that shut church services down. Um, and, and including the one that went around and threatened people that were actually attending a drive-in. That's just fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Maybe um, a CB or something that's bleeding over. Yeah, somebody's bleeding into our, our, our feed. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, the wonders of the Internet. And um, so – you just have to wonder if there's not going to be some legal actions um, from religious uh, leaders uh, about how this is, those restrictions. It's every time I pause, it sounds like. Not well, that. Stop talking. <laughs> yeah. I can talk pretty straight, straight for a long time, but you just got to wonder about the, the, the first amendment questions and what takes president, you know, this, this, health emergency and a declaration by a state governor or the federal that maintains our inalienable right, a right you are born with that can't be taken away from you to freedom of, of worship. You know, how can a state take away that right? They can't. So it'll be very interesting to see, you know, where some of those actions go to in the future. But so it, it was interesting day talking about COVID-19 in the board meeting. Been interesting in the news watching uh, this hair salon. And, uh, you know, I'm just curious, you know, you know what, what everybody else thinks. Do it too fast. Do you agree that we ought some exceptions. Do you think you can make your own decisions as an adult, whether you want to patronize a business? And if you're a business owner, whether or not you can open. And if you're an employee, whether you feel safe going back to work, you know, give us a call here, 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. Again, 646-721-9887. And, you know, yesterday, the, the organ health folks decided that it was safe to release data by zip code for the state. And of course, any zip codes that had less than um, a thousand people in it, they aggregated into one report. Um, so you folks out there in the Deadwood Mapleton area, you don't get to know whether there was anything in your area because you're aggregated with a whole bunch of other rural areas that have small amounts of people and zip codes. But they did, you know, report a lot of it out. And, and you look at Lane County zip codes and everything's in Willamette Valley and clustered around Eugene. There's been no um, COVID-19 uh, cases confirmed in Florence, which to me just says there just hasn't been enough testing there, <laughs> which gets back to the lack of testing in this state. And uh, which gets to a whole other issue of people are pointing to Oregon saying, look, see, they have less cases per million than a lot of states, so their stay-at-home stuff was really worked. 
No, we have some of the lowest testing per million in the entire nation. We have some of the lowest number of cases identified in the entire nation. What you really have to look at, because it's the one thing that is being counted, is the number of deaths per 100,000 in each state. So it, it, it adjusts states per population. And when you look at that list, yes, we're pretty low, we're three deaths per 100,000. But South Dakota that never shut anything down by state order, everybody was left to their own devices whether it was shut down or not. And there were businesses and organizations that shut down South Dakota and, and gatherings it ended. But even with that whole, I think there's a pork plant or chicken plant that had a bad problem in South Dakota, they're at two deaths per 100,000. So, you know, that's that's the the indicator that, that takes away whether or not you're doing a, a, enough testing in your state is is the deaths that are being reported. Um, and, of course, the state that's doing in deaths per 100,000, New York State. So, um, you know, congratu self-congratulating us based on number of cases is more reflective of our lack of testing in the state than it is our true um, ability to control the COVID-19 outbreak. So switching gears a little bit in, uh, and getting away from COVID, seeing I, it, it seems no one is interested in it because I'm not getting any calls on our line at 646-721-9887. Talk a, briefly a little bit about redistricting, and then we're going to get into the Lane County budget because we had our first budget meeting and our was also the county administrator, uh, read the budget message, which kicks off the um, budget process. And uh, we are, once again, uh, for the fourth year in a row, proposing a structurally balanced budget with no layoffs and no reductions in service. Um, and that's because We've been doing a really good job financially and laid some great groundwork over the last eight or nine years to get control of our finances. And projecting a flat per employee cost for health insurance for this year for the third or fourth year in a row, which I don't know any other organization that can say that. And that's been because of what we've done to control our health claims. So, Good news on the budget front in a lot of ways, but we'll talk a little bit more about the budget. I just want to briefly touch on redistricting, which we've talked about before on the Bo's Nose Show. And my desire to go with something the League of Women Voters came up with, which is a system in which a citizens committee that would be appointed um, by retired judges or retired elected officials, you know, some some you know body that would bring bring them together. Um, from a pool of applicants through some kind of, you know, um, random system or whatever to make and have it balanced, you know, so many Democrats, so many Republicans, so many, you know, so many minor party representatives, uh, whatever they balance it and have that committee go through the numbers and draw the districts and adopt the, the, the districts without the board of commissioners having the final say because no matter what we do um, right now our charter gives the board of commissioners final say so what i'd like to do is take that league of women voters proposal they put out for the state and do a lane county version of it they were going to have a state constitutional amendment this would be a county charter amendment to put the voters in charge of drawing their boundaries for their commissioners right now the commissioners get to choose their own voters. And there's an inherent conflict of interest in that. And I want to change the system. And yesterday we were trying to provide direction to staff and there was basically a three-two split on the board with the three Democrats, including our chair, Heather Buck, voting to support moving forward with an ordinance, which an ordinance doesn't change the charter, which means no matter what you set up procedurally, for a citizens committee to do redistricting, 
the Board of Commissioners still has to adopt the districts through a, an ordinance process, which allows them to start over and, and put up their own districts, which is what has happened every time the last 30 years in Lane County. The Board of Commissioners has thrown out whatever committees have brought to them and drawn their own districts. So I, I was pushing for moving forward with the Charter Amendment, but only Commissioner Farr and myself supported that. I will say that Commissioner Bernie supported the option of fast enough that if we can and can meet the deadlines, he, he wouldn't mind a charter amendment. So he's kind of riding the fence, so to speak. But you could definitively tell that Commissioner Sorensen and Commissioner Buck did not want to move forward with an ordinance. And I just kind of got to wonder do they like the system that leaves the commissioners in charge? Is there a reason why they want that? Do they want to be able to gerrymander? Have a majority on the board? Um, you know, I think it's a delay game so they can get past the 2021 redistricting and whatever we put in place uh, in a charter amendment later won't apply till 2031. So, um, Folks that want to see citizens in charge of redistricting instead of elected officials need to contact Chair Buck, Joe Bernie, and let them know that they want the citizens in charge of redistricting. So now said there, I want to move on to the budget a little bit. And, you know, it's interesting is this is kind of where I do a lot of my meetings and I had to bring in another table to put put some of my stuff working on on zoom meetings and go to go to meetings and webinars and whatever else because uh, I needed room for my budget book so I had drag in a little mobile table this is the Lane County budget as you can see it's not a small document it's about you know inch and a half thick of paper, big three ring binder, you know, that whole, this whole huge thing is our budget. And uh, that's what we'll be diving into over the next several weeks. I have another budget committee meeting tomorrow and next Tuesday and the following Thursday as we work our way through each department's budget and each fund in, in the budget. Um, it, it's a detail, uh, exercise, but it's a really important one. And it's important because this is where the rubber meets the road. And it's the most important duty of being an elected official in Oregon. Because we have to balance our budget. We can't, you know, print money like the federal government. And um, we really have to think about things like maintaining adequate reserves so that we can deal with an emergency. And it's that discipline of building reserves up that we've done over the last couple of years. A, that's also helped our bond rating and given us such a great bond rating that's helped us refinance our debt and save taxpayers money and not just wasting money on interest payments to um, bondholders, but actually being able to take that money and put it into uh, either capital projects or services to taxpayers. And it's a really important exercise we do uh, every year. And, and keeping that discipline is so important. And the fact that we've had that discipline and gotten adequate reserves and been structurally balancing our budgets year after year. And by structurally balanced means that we're not using reserves to pay for ongoing costs. That whatever ongoing income we have, you know, you know, our annual income is matched by our annual expenses, that we're not drawing out of reserves and, and running the county on, on, you know, money from previous years or, or whatever that we set, you know, that we slowly built up and now we're draining down. And that's, you know, really important. And because we've had that discipline, even in the face of the COVID-19, we believe we can survive this with, you know, we're, with a hiring um, chill, as we put it, where we're going to not hire people for a while and hold some positions open, which is not a layoff, 
you know, so we're not having to actually, put un, you know, put people out of employment to fill some positions for a while. And we're also kind of uh, believe that our, if we kind of pull back on expenditures and all that for a little bit, we can actually survive this without drawing on our reserves and um, move ahead when everything starts reopening and revenues start to flow again. A little bit of concern about our parks department and the Lane Event Center. They've been hit really, really hard in the COVID-19 stuff. And there may have to be some juggling that goes on there because um, not going to see large events coming to the event center anytime soon. And uh, our parks system depends a lot on car rental tax um, to fund a lot of it. And how many cars are being rented at the airport right now? Not too many of those either. So, um, you know, and also transient room taxes feed into our event center besides the event center uh, income. So really important um, that we keep this budget balanced and really important that we maintain that discipline, that fiscal responsibility. And particularly as we start dealing with collective bargaining uh, at the county and uh, other places where, you know, resisting to start a new program and spend money somewhere else. And, and uh, you know, one of the, the things I'm concerned about is this board seems to want to jump in to the whole climate um, action plans and develop and, and spend money there. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping they can understand if they are wanting to do something new, they got to find something old that they, they're going to eliminate. And that, that's, that's basically with the balance we're at right now. There's no room for new stuff or fun stuff or whatever your you know, pet project was. You got to have some discipline. And if you want to do something new, it's got to have a high enough priority to, to find something that's a low priority and eliminate it. So um, it'll be, be interesting to see, um, you know, as, as we get on to making proposals. The one, you know, there is one place I would like to see us get back to spending a very small amount of money, and it's less money than we spent hiring a climate specialist in our public works department, you know, for well over $100,000. Benefits and all on that person is to spend $70,000 in dues to get us back into the association of ONC counties. Um, that's the association that lobbies the federal government around um, the responsibility of the federal government has to counties, the 18 Oregon and California railroad counties. Um, yeah, it's, it's an invasion. Yeah. Um, so the, the California railroad counties that the federal government made a promise to in a congressional act back in the 30s uh, that they would cut timber and because they're not cutting timber and sharing that revenue, they need to share replacement dollars. But they've cut those replacement dollars so far back that it's it's ridiculous. And if we don't get ourselves and try and get the federal government either to do replacement dollar funding or cutting the timber so we get the money, that will make a huge difference in our budget, particularly in the face of COVID-19. You know, as, as we look at possible cuts from the state government and things like car rental tax, transient room tax, campground fees, uh, lane event center rental fees, and all that, getting the federal government to start, you know, keeping their part of the promise for the 2 million acres plus acres they own in, that are part of those Oregon, California railroad lands. And that's not the national forest. This is in addition to all the multi-millions of acres that they own in national forests, far beyond the ONC lands. This is a small 
piece of land, you know, piece of land in the federal portfolio that's unique to Oregon, but it's a big piece of land in these 18 counties, and particularly Douglas and Lane counties that have the most ONC lands in them. Um, and, you know, in the past, that used to average $40 million into our general fund in today's dollars. It's $4 million or less right now. So even if they came halfway back, you'd have another $16 million a year. I could hire a lot of deputy sheriffs for that. You know, and if we needed mental health workers, if we need, you know, uh, DA staff, other things, that's, you know, operational money. And we're leaving it on the table right now by having pulled out of that association the best place that's and most effective way we've been lobbying over the years to maintain that revenue stream. And our county commissioners have chosen to pull out. I should say three of our county commissioners. Hmm. Seems to be the same three that don't want to put a charter amendment on over redistricting. Yet they're the ones that want to do so much for the homeless population annual operational funding because what they want to do is have staff running shelters which takes operational money annually into a general fund which is what the onc lands would generate but they don't want to be involved in trying to get that revenue back up so instead they want to do things like have a construction excise tax get some kind of transfer tax going or doing something to tax somebody to generate revenue for homelessness. And to me, as long as they're letting the federal government off the hook for the Oregon and California railroad lands, there's no local revenue source I'm willing to support, which gets me to the courthouse. Yesterday, we basically voted to um, not for November. And I would have done that before COVID. The reason staff kind of brought it to us is, you know, in the light of COVID and all of the unemployment, how can we be asking people for money? Um, my problem was, in light of the fact that our boards pulled out of the ONC Counties Association, and they're not going after that federal money that, you know, would far exceed any bond. How can we ask our voters for money when we're not pushing the federal government? And knowing that, and the fact that I know that a lot of our citizens understand that connection, I don't think we could have passed the bond measure, even if COVID-19 had ever come about. I would have been asking to pull it from the ballot. So, you know, it's a very serious thing. Money coming into our general fund is our most flexible money, and it's the one place that 65% of the money in the general fund gets spent on public safety. So any of you guys that, you know, thinking about, you know, the, the, the lawlessness that's happening in downtown Eugene, Cafe Soraya is, is vandalism that just happened the other night is a perfect example. The absolute lawlessness that happens out in some rural Lane County, because we have virtually no coverage of, of, rural patrol at any level of adequacy, um, our inability to prosecute some minor crimes because we're, we're using up our prosecution power on higher level crimes, our um, inability to adequately supervise people because we're completely dependent on state funding. We don't spend any local money on parole and probation. And, um, you know, just all of those things that's general fund and having $16 million more a year come into our general fund would be huge. There's so much I could do with that. You know, it, it just, it, it, it would be big. And the fact that chair Buck seems unwilling to consider even getting back in or ONC counties 
and um, that you know Commissioner Bernie has kind of tried to ride the fence on that one too, uh, but still voted against being in there and and um, couldn't get him to be the third vote to bring it back up about a month or two ago. So now I'm going to try and do it through the budget process. Um, and we've already had the usual environmental folks starting to contact us, asking us to stay out because they knew I was going to ask. Um, I, I just can't see asking any local taxpayers for local money to supplant what we've lost from the federal government that they owe us for. If they're not going to provide us the revenue from the ONC lands, they it's back. You know, and, and let the counties manage them. You know, let us keep 100% of the timber revenue from them. You know, right now we only get 50% of the timber revenue. The other 50% goes back to the federal government to operate the lands and to set up for other sales. But they're, they're cutting so little on those lands that the actual timber harvest monies is less than that 4 million that the S that's the secure rural schools uh, uh, re-ups have been providing, but those re-ups have gotten to be so tiny. It's, it's, so, you know, we really should be getting somewhere between 20 and $40 million a year in revenue from those, those lands. And there's no reason we shouldn't there not our, our national forest. There's plenty of old growth in the national forest. They have almost all been used for timber production in the past. So they're planted as timber production, monoculture Douglas fir, which if it's not continued to be harvested, thinned and harvested, you know, is not exactly a healthy forest. Um, left to tur quote, turn into old growth is not is what is going to happen. It's going to turn into forest fire. And uh, we just need to get you know, the federal government back into doing that. And our strongest place of advocacy is to join with other counties and have a bigger voice because this is an Oregon specific issue. So as we're trying to convince Congress people from Iowa and Florida to support, a, a, you know, something that's going to deal with this issue, having a single county talk to them about it, they don't really care. And we come in there as an association that, that basically represents close to half the state's population uh, or more. Um, that, that's, that's a difference. You know, we're, we're coming in there as a group and pulling away from that organization is basically saying, you know what, federal government, we're, you know, we're not going to bother asking you to hold up your end of the bargain, even though you own such a large percentage of Lane County. You own 55% of Lane County, and of that 55%, you know, about half of that's ONC lands, uh, or actually less than half of that's ONC lands. You don't have to do anything to to cut timber, even though there's an act of Congress that says you're supposed to manage it for timber. And you don't have to do anything to replace that timber dollars anywhere else in our budgets. Um, we're going to let you go because we're going to turn around and ask um, homeowners to pay additional taxes, either through property tax or construction excise taxes, or come up with um, because we want to, you know, take that money and build something with it or start a new homeless program, and uh, you know. Don't worry, federal government, you're good. Taxpayers in Lane County, hand it over. Nope, I can't support that, and I won't. It's one of the reasons why I supported taking the courthouse off of November, because I don't think we can win until our commissioners are committed to holding the federal government responsible for the ONC County ONC railroad lands in our county and across the state. How can we ask the taxpayers for money when we aren't pushing the federal government? Trust contract with the federal government that they're violating right now. So 
want to contact it. You know, remember that's that's Chair Heather Buck, Commissioner Joe Bernie, Vice Chair Joe Bernie, I should say, from Springfield, and Commissioner Pete Sorensen are the three that are in opposition to rejoining AOCC. They're also the three that are in opposition of taking out the cronyism in our redistricting process and putting a charter amendment. So a couple of things you might want to call them about. And uh, I think it would you know, be important for folks to get in contact with them. It's also important for folks to be in contact with the entire board, just stressing the importance about getting Oregon reopened after this COVID-19 thing, because I am probably the strongest advocate for that on the board, but I need some of the board that's reluctant that wants to just follow the governor and wait for the governor consistently instead of trying to lead the governor, um, they need to hear from from people that that are interested in reopening. And uh, so that one you can write uh, to all the commissioners about, you know, reopening Lane County. Um, but the, the ones that need to hear about you know, getting the cronyism and uh, gerrymandering out of um, our redistricting process are Chair Buck, Vice Chair Bernie, and Commissioner Sorensen. They are also the same three commissioners that need to hear from you about getting Lane County back into the association of ONC counties. And also, so just that that that's two important things right there. So all the commissioners need to be hearing about reopening the county, but those three commissioners need to hear about redistricting and also um, the ONC Counties Association. So just about two minutes left in the Bose Nose Show here, and because we are live to the internet, it doesn't matter if I run over time, so we can still get a call here, 646-721-9887. Just press one. Let's Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the show. Again, 646-721-9887. And I think I'll end up the Bose No Show here just with giving out my standard old What Were They Thinking Award. And I just have to give it out to our governor and her executive branch. I mean, what were you thinking when you sent OSHA to a small business dying right now and threaten them on top of all the things they're suffering right now with lack of income to find them an additional $75,000? I mean, what were you thinking, Kate Brown? Meanwhile, you're talking about reopening um, because you want video lottery machines to be played again, because the video lottery monies have taken a dump. Where's the logic behind that, that you're proposing restaurants and bars open you know, and, and you're going to punish a hair salon for opening with 20% of its employee force and uh, limited clientele and good sanitation work. What were you thinking, Kate Brown? You know, where's the logic in that? Where is it okay to go into a liquor store and touch bottles and stuff like that and pens and credit cards and everything else, but it's okay, not okay, to go into a hair salon that's had to station cleaned the person's washing their hands, wearing a mask. You are, you're wearing a mask. You know, where is that logic? So what were you thinking, Kate Brown? Well, that about wraps it up for the Bose Nose Show this week. We'll be back next week, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, live on Wednesday afternoon. And we'll have more to talk about. Hopefully, maybe we can get further away from the COVID subject. Maybe by then we'll be reopening. Thank you for listening and have a great week.